I'm going to give you a short story, and I want you to try to guess who the main character is. The main character is not a person, but a country. There is a people who escape one country to start another country. The promise of the new land is that they will be able to worship God freely and establish their own identity. Uh, The early leaders were cognizant of God's hand at their start, and they sought to honor him. As God blessed them and they prospered, uh, leaders and the populace decided that they could live apart from God and apart from his laws, and they grew more independent. The moral lives of the people grew increasingly lax. Uh, How the leaders were chosen was questioned. They made alliances for political expediency that ended up hurting the country, and there was great political turmoil. Trust in their leaders waned. Who is it? If you said America on this July 4th, you would be right. If you said Israel, as we are making our way through the book of Hosea, you would also be right. Great similarities in that. But I am not claiming that America is God's chosen people. Please do not take that. Even having that title up there scares the bejeebies out of me because the people see it as two and one, all right? Write that down, bejeebies. It's a Greek word. <laughs> I'm also not claiming that we live under a theocracy like Israel. I don't, I don't even want that for America. Theocracy being that religious leaders are also the, the political leaders. I'm not making the ludicrous claim that Hosea was written for America, These are arrogant positions to take. I don't think that. I think God loves people in every country. God loves all people. But I'm making the obvious parallel that we share in our short lifespan as a country similarities that should cause us to pause and consider Israel's mistakes so that we might consider how we can avoid an unfavorable fate like Israel. The fact is, every country on earth, I think, should consider these principles. This this could say Israel and Bolivia, or Israel and Russia, or Israel, just name your country. America is the country we live in, and Israel is the country that was written about in Hosea, So let's get with it. Hosea 10, verses 1 through 8, let's all stand. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words. With empty oaths, they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the, Beth, for the calf of Beth-Avon. 
Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The one thing itself should be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. The Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they will say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Father, there are numerous potholes to avoid in discussing this passage. And there is easily a pride and arrogance that can take place in our hearts on a July 4th. But we come before you as a humble people who have many similarities with Israel in that we have sinned greatly and we have worshipped our idols and we have forgotten you. And I pray, approach this passage with humility. Cause our love to be expansive. Where there needs to be repentance, may we repent. Where there needs to be rejoicing, may we rejoice. But may we see this passage for what it is and interpret it correctly and that your Holy Spirit would take those words and make application to our heart and even our nation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Israel is a luxurious, uh, luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. So Israel was blessed with prosperity. But instead of responding with gratefulness to God, the people misused their privileges. As a nation of Israel erroneously attributed her success to the idol Baal, imagine that, rather than the Lord. We read this in Deuteronomy. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, and that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. It's one of the reasons God wanted Israel to destroy the idols of the promised land so that they may not be beguiled by them, but instead they worship there. I think the implications for us as Christians seems rather plain, particularly in America. 
that prosperity often leads us away from God. Now, just on an individual basis, I think we see this. You know, you get a, you get a new car, a new house. You get a nice raise. And it's easy to think, hey, I'm pretty cool stuff here, right? And we take pride in the things. And we're beguiled by them. Really, the more appropriate response would be, Lord, you give me even the very breath that I breathe, and this money, this thing, is a gift from you. He's not wanting us to say, no, I can't use any of this, but that we, we thank him for it. We'd be grateful. And, it, and we see how that fits within his kingdom of God and how we can utilize those things and leverage those things for the kingdom and to bless other people. But the fact is, aren't we better, it seems, trusting him in hard times? Prosperity brings a great temptation for us. Perhaps maybe on this July 4th, we could see the prosperity that God has given us and just thank him and realize they come from him. Verse 2, their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. The Hebrew word for breakdown is used of snapping the neck of an animal and rendering it unsuitable for human consumption because it's not been bled. God is going to do the same kind of thing, the false idols. He's going to cause us to face the state of our heart, bear responsibility for our choices. To what end does God do this? Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, as plainly as I can say it, this is either the most arrogant statement you'll ever find in the Bible or this is true. And Jesus is who he claimed to be. And if he really did rise from the dead, Katie barred the door, everything changes. And that's what this verse is saying. And we'll have to acknowledge that. We have no right to be arrogant in our faith or with other people because of what country we're from. And there's going to be a gigantic humbling for everybody when we acknowledge the sovereignty of God and particularly in his son, Jesus Christ. For now they will say we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? As the Assyrians were taking over Israel's king was deposed, and the invasion was a result of Israel's disobedience, rejecting God. And now Israel realizes it really doesn't matter who their king is. It's not likely going to make any difference. Before Syria took over, Israel failed numerous times by not seeking God and choosing their king. 
They utter mere words and empty oaths. They make covenants so judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. It's almost like this, that when the moral order of God is rejected, I'm not saying that everybody has to be Christian. I'm not saying that. But you dismiss God. God is nothing. God's not even on the computer screen. When the moral order of God is rejected, people are going to revert to their own court cases, increasing lawsuits. A kind of secular legalism takes over, just like a religious legalism. It has the same fervor. And what I mean by that is you better abide by the political state or you're going to be shamed and canceled. And what those institutions know of forgiveness, of grace and fairness, little or nothing. What they know about is power. And God's judgment replaced Israel's blessing, and it overtook them like weeds. Any application for us today? Well, consider this. You know that in the United States, there are over 40 million lawsuits every year, and a total of over 1 million lawyers in the United States. You've never heard me pray for more lawyers. God love them. I know we have some in our congregation. Serve God in what you're doing. Some of this problem is because when God's moral order is rejected, people are going to run to human authorities. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf, calf of Bethaven. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests. Those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as a tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. One of the things that Assyria did when it took over Israel was tear down some of the idols and particularly this one at Bethaven. What's weird is that the people would continue to worship there at the shrine, even though the idol was gone. This explains the mourning and the shrieking. Oh, God, please give us back our idol. The people were beside themselves to lose the idol that they depended on. And this is a disgrace. Its removal signified their false religion, but it failed them. My friends, whether you have an idol of independence and freedom, prosperity, possessions, or something else, it is eventually going to let you down. Read the story of Grant Desme, who shocked the baseball world in 2010 when he retired from the game. Second round draft pick for the Oakland A's at 23. Instead, he wanted to live a life of simplicity as a Catholic priest in California. And when asked, what in the world was he thinking? 
And if he missed baseball, this is what he said. I still don't miss playing professionally, but I've come to enjoy the game of baseball itself more. When I let go of it as my idol, I was enabled to enjoy it for what it's worth. When you're projecting your own designs on something and taking it more seriously than it should be, you don't get what God intended you to get out of it. When you simply accept things for what they are and don't expect more than what they can give, you experience the satisfaction you're supposed to. Some wisdom there. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The leaders of Israel, Samaria being one of its territories, will be like a small twig floating along the water. You know what that means? There's, it just floats along. There's no power or influence. They can't change the direction as a twig. They can't affect real change or influence history. Their leadership is inept. Dare I make any comparisons today? The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Things got so bad, the places where the idols were torn down would have thorns and thistles on them, and people wished to die. I mean, when they refused to give God undivided loyalty, he dislodged their false security, toppled their idols. Instead of crying out for forgiveness and returning to the Lord, people got desperate and they begged to die. Listen, they wanted what their individualism begged for, even though it was false. And their individualism and narcissism, by rejecting God, proclaiming their you know, freedom to do what they wanted, that narcissism continued even just wishing for death instead of bowing before the Lord. Wow. I can't help but think, what is this... What does this have to say for us? Living in America. What are our responsibilities as believers, as a community of faith? Well, I think back to the time that when Jesus rode through Jerusalem on a donkey. Remember that? Well, it's called the, the triumphal entry. The crowds were at a fever pitch. You know what they were at a fever pitch about? Because they wanted a political and military Messiah. One that would give them a physical kingdom. Jesus came to establish another kind of kingdom. I mean, at first they lauded him, you know, as he rode through the streets, laid down palms to celebrate what they hoped he would accomplish. But in the end, their political fervor blinded them to the real Jesus and to the kingdom he came to establish. 
we read a sobering commentary not long after the event in Acts 4.11 that says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. I think there's a danger of being so entrenched on what we've done in the polit- what we want done in the physical political realm we miss what god wants to do by establishing his kingdom it's not that we can't be involved in politics but rather one kingdom is subservient to the other right i mean you can be involved in politics But some need to repent for making Donald Trump the Messiah. Got news for you, he wasn't. Right? You can can support somebody. But excessive desire for the political realm can blind us to God's agenda. Here's the shame upon the church today. Many Christians have divided over, continue worry about, dedicate themselves to an earthly kingdom while the kingdom of God trails behind with nary a thought. That's sin that needs to be repented of. Again, be involved as a steward of Jesus Christ, but know you're a servant of King Jesus first. Here's what we know about our present state. Our leaders have forgotten God, and many of our citizens have forgotten God. And we cannot expect to prosper as a nation when we shove God out of political life and out of public life. All leaders in all countries, not just this one, ultimately are to be servants of God in their duty. And whether they know it or not, and by, you could be an atheist leader, God is still sovereign and has put you there. You may not know it, you may not realize it, but it doesn't change the fact that God is still sovereign. You may be of a completely different religion, God is still sovereign. Daniel 2.21 says, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. You know, a decade ago, there was a president who announced to the world that Americans do not consider ourselves just a Christian nation. Now, honestly, I I can't be sure what he meant. He could have meant that historically we've never been a Christian nation or that we don't have a consensus of Christians now. But the fact is, that tone fits many of our leaders today who want to distance themselves from our historical roots. Again, I have no expectations or, um, that, that all become Christian, or that America becomes a theocracy. Uh, again, where the you know, political leaders and the religious leaders are all the same. That, that's, not, that's not my desire. Rather, what I'm after is that we not leave God out of our history or out of our present story 
our present affairs. And that we consider him. I'm going to read you some quotes. And I, I would guess that many of you have never heard these quotes. In fact, I know that some want to deny these quotes. But they are a fact. And they are from some of our leaders. And I want you to consider this as our history. John Adams. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. You might want to eradicate that. You're free to want that, but it doesn't change the fact that it was still part of our history. Teddy Roosevelt, the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and entwined with our whole civic and social life that it would be literally impossible for us to figure to ourselves what that life would be if these teachings were removed. You're probably thinking, what? You made this up. No, I did not. Woodrow Wilson, America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. If a congressman read that today before the Congress, he would be shouted out of the room. Harry Truman said this is a Christian nation. The Supreme Court in 1892 declared that the United States was a uniquely Christian nation. The Supreme Court. <laughs> Unbelievable. Justice Earl Warren agreed with his predecessors and before being appointed the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court by Eisenhower, Warren had been the Attorney General of California. He declared this, I believe the entire Bill of Rights came into being because of the knowledge our forefathers had of the Bible and their belief in it. Freedom of belief, of expression, of assembly, of petition, the dignity of the individual, the sanctity of the home, equal justice under law, and the reservation of powers to the people. I like to believe we are living today in the spirit of the Christian religion. I like also to believe that as long as we do so, no great harm can come to our country. Woodrow Wilson said, a nation which does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today, nor what it is trying to do. We are trying to do a futile thing if we do not know where we come from or what we have been about. And I think we're seeing that today. John Adams wisely observed, statesmen may plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. Religion and virtue are the only foundations of all free governments. Listen, you are free to believe whatever you want to believe, right? You're free to believe that religion is the cause of all the evils in the world. I think you're wrong. You're free to believe it. You're free to believe that we need to eradicate religion from the public life. But what I'm here to tell you, and what all these men believed, and what I think even philosophical logic has shown, is that without the foundations that support a moral order, you aren't going to have a moral order. And the moral order from this country was built upon the principles that are found in the Word of God. And we have forgotten those. 
Our citizenship is to be used as any other aspect of our lives. Uh, when I drive my car, as a hus- if I'm a husband, if I'm a father, when I go to work, and if I'm a citizen, it all follow- follows under me being a servant of God. I want to be a good steward of God in all of those aspects. God's agenda always eclipses any political agenda. And we serve our country, vote and participate in all of this with the primary goal of being a faithful servant of God. Right? Secondarily, Participation in the body of Christ is contingent upon our relationship with Jesus Christ and not a political party affiliation. Right? Thank you for the three that said it. The rest of you, you need to listen even more. The church is not a member of the right wing. Okay? You're never going to see me put up Fox News on our screen and say, Okay? Or any other political cause. We serve one master, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And we're to experience unity with people who are of differing backgrounds, political persuasions, color, nationality. It shows the power of Jesus Christ in uniting these kind of people. If he could do it with the Jews and the Gentiles 2,000 years ago, he can do it for us. And oh God, how we need your Holy Spirit to come and sweep us off our feet and show us that kind of vision and unity instead of just a political one. I think it's these understanding, this understanding that makes the truths of Hosea especially informative for us as a nation. We're not to pridely, pridefully think that we're somehow unique from all other people on the face of the earth, that God doesn't care about other people of the world. That is arrogance. But what we are is a nation that has had a unique past. And it has lost its way. And I see the only hope, truly, is not for a political persuasion, but a spiritual one to come upon our people. Our Christian heritage seems to be a distant dream more than a present reality. And I think it's why the warning shot of Hosea is to be taken soberly and seriously. What happens when a nation forgets God? We cannot expect our leaders to thumb their nose at God. For our people to reject God's moral order and to actually find that to be deplorable, God's moral order, and then that no consequences occur. Who do we think we are to think that? And God's asleep? I don't. God was sovereign when when Hosea was written, and I think he's still sovereign today. 
So what can we do? Well, let us acknowledge him as our sovereign God and live lives of service to him to make a difference in our community. Listen, by confession, I look at the national scene and I can get really, really frustrated. Uh, I watched the news for the first time in about a year and a half last week. Janet asked me to turn it off. I go, no, I, I want to see what's going on in Miami here. <laughs> but it's so depressing. You know what gives me hope? Right here. The church. Not what's going on in Washington. I still pray for them. But what gives me hope is that we, as a community, can make a difference here. That we can love our neighbors well, not in some haughty, arrogant way, screaming from some abortion line against people. No. Now, I'm against abortion. But Christians have missed the mark in a lot of ways that they express themselves. But we humbly approach people, love people, that we serve our community, that, that we have people that say, you know what, Springfield is better because Christ Community Church exists. They have brought, they have brought unity to the races. They have lifted up those that have been in poverty. They have loved those who've been outcasts in our society. And we do that because we're followers of Jesus Christ. Because I think that's what Jesus would do if he were here. So never forget, the people who rejected Jesus the most were religious leaders. Because he did not fit their mold. So when you start getting criticism from religious leaders, which we have, because it's not about the politics, maybe it tells us we're doing something right. <laughs> Let's pray.